Welcome back in listeners to another wonderful episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by an incredible guest. You may recognize him from many a TV screen, many a film screen, and of course the great stage. We have the actor Bill Oberst Jr. joining us. Bill, thank you so much for joining us here on Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. You have a great voice, Andrew. Thank you. I've got a great face for radio. What can I say? Um, <laughs> my my voice in, I've got a podcast where I tell gothic fiction stories and I, I love sort of voice acting. Everything I do like on movies or TV is a husky voice like this, Andrew. If I'm getting a little too close, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable, but you weren't nice to me, Andrew. It's kind of that thing. Like, that's what, like, that goes with my face and it says, ooh, he's menacing. But then if I'm just talking, I'm like, hey, Andrew, what's up? And people are like, that's weird. <laughs> just that voice coming out of that face. So I, I really, I have an ear for voices and you have a really smooth, melodious voice. So well, thank you so much. And I want to, I'm going to have to ask more about this podcast because I love a good storytelling podcast. Do you really? It's a bedtime podcast. It's, a, it's designed to put people to sleep. Sold. You've sold it. <laughs> a lot of people are surprised at the fact that when they're like, well, when you're not doing theater, what do you do? And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a true crime guy. I'm all about that murder lifestyle. My favorite murder and unsolved murders and thing. Oh yeah. When I'm on the train, when I'm reading, I've got a podcast in my ear about some serial killer. And they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, theater's great. I love that. That's my life. But at the same time, I can <laughs> tell you all about BX, uh, BTK and everything. <laughs> and they're like, goodness. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about Hamilton. <laughs> um, but we, I, I am so excited and honored to have you here on our show and to be talking about you. We were talking before we started about your, your, your very illustrious career, both on the stage and screen. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as an actor? Well, I'm just a working Joe actor, and I use that term because... We're relics, you know, the ones who just, are you famous? No, not really. I make a living acting. And and people don't know really what to do with that because they're like, oh, you know, what level of celebrity are you? None. I just make a living acting. And that that's the, that's the kind of actor that I love to work with, like a journeyman actor, you know, one that just does it because they love the craft. And so that's what I do. I did stage for 14 years and I just finished my 14th year of film and TV I still do some stage. And yeah, you know what it's like, man. You, you you cobble little pieces together and you fill in the gaps and you try to keep going. I'm sorry that our craft, yours and mine, ever got equated with celebrity because I think it's it has hurt the craft. The more it's equated with celebrity, the more it's like, you're an actor? Oh, how famous are you? It's not, why do you wish to reflect the human experience and in what way do you do it? And what do you think that your your work has to say to us as human beings? It's never any of that. It's only, oh, how famous are you? Absolutely. And along with that, once you do achieve some form of fame, you're immediately pegged with whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, it's so hard for a lot of actors to, I feel, and, and, and I can't speak from personal experience, but you know, I feel like to break away from whatever that great success was. And, and I can tell you from my little experience with it in LA, if you are somewhat famous for some little thing you've done in a niche, it's not enough fame. And they're like, 
you know, oh, you 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 can get on this red carpet. Yeah, but what about the red carpets you can't get on? It's it's cancerous and I find it poisonous. So that's why I just try to hermit in between working. I just don't do it anymore. Well, how did you get into the performing arts? Oh my gosh, I was so unpopular as a kid. I was different in every way you could be different in a small town in South Carolina. Those in those days there were pejoratives that were used freely. So I'll say that I was called the fat kid, the ugly kid, the sissy kid, the skinny kid, you know, whatever it is, and the smart kid too, which was the kiss of death. Because I love school and I love to make people happy. And so I wanted my teachers to be happy. So I did my work. And so I knew all the answers in Sunday school. And it I was like the number one target in the small town south of my youth to be beat up in a you know just generally put up against the lockers and money taken and all that sort of stuff and so i learned a little trick that i could change my voice and um, i could do impersonations of teachers and that they would like that and then i was their little performing monkey and they would say hey oberst do and i would think oh god they're going to hit me and we go no do do principal rice you know do whoever and I do the imitation. And then I thought, aha, if you entertain people, they will not hit you. Mm. And that was that was it. And I thought, okay, I need to keep entertaining people. Then when I got big enough and physically fit enough where I could have beat the crap out of them, I no longer wanted to. I just wanted to entertain because I liked it. I love that. Now, we, we've spoken a little bit about this, but I, I'd like to know more about what has your experience in, I guess, the entertainment industry as a whole been like, you know, both stage and screen. Stage, wonderful. Screen, you just have to push it. And it really, it's so hierarchical. It's not, in stage, you know, people will accept you at the level you're on and give you opportunities. And in film and television, it really is hierarchical. You, back in the, I mean, since, the pandemic, it's really been online auditions. But before that, it was, you know, you're in the room and you only get in certain rooms by having a certain status. Um, I remember when I did, you're hot for a little while after you do TV, right? So I was recurring on Criminal Minds as a, a killer who was never caught. I was one of the few that was never killed by the team, a backwoods um, degenerate killer. So anyway, right after that, I got called in for a really big series, very, very nice series. And um, I went in the room and uh, said, you know, hello, you know, and the casting director said, she sat back in her chair. I'll never forget the look on her face. She said, do you know why you're in this room? Um, I said, no, <laughs> I mean, I got called in, but she said, you're in this room only because I saw you on a CBS TV series. Otherwise, you'd never be in my room. And I said, all right. <laughs> and so I did the audition. I didn't get the role. But she had to let me know that the reason I had been elevated to the point of being in her presence was that I had done a show of status. And so it's that story over and over and over again in film and television. I enjoy the work, but I've never enjoyed the hierarchy. Wow. I I never knew about that, that existing. And that that is not a good color. <laughs> it's not, it's Whoa. not, it's not who you know in LA and in film and TV. It is who knows you. I have both gotten roles and lost roles because you get to network approval. And if one person at that table, Andrew, says, 
I never heard of him. You're done. That's the end of it. But if you happen to slip by and everybody at the table, because network has to give approval on all the roles, guest stars, co-stars. If you, if that guy who doesn't know you happens to be like, you know, eating a sandwich or on his cell phone texting or something, and you slip by, then you get in. But if the guy that doesn't know you says, Andrew, what? I, I never heard of him. And then there you go. They need to have heard of you because if they haven't heard of you, you're of no importance. Because the the kiss of death in this part of the industry is never heard of him. And the clear implication is, if I've never heard of you, then you're of no worth. Because I've heard of everybody that's of worth. That's such a a, a dichotomy to the, the world I'm used to here in the world of theater, where they're actively seeking that person that will make everything. They're looking for the solution. They'll see anyone and everyone as long as it's that perfect fit, which is where a nobody can become a somebody. See, isn't that... Yeah, isn't and I, I mean, from the history of LA and and Hollywood that I read, it used to be that way, but um, for, by and large, it's not now because nobody wants to take a chance on somebody who's nobody. Hmm. That's a shame. Well, you have done a lot of solo work lately on the stage. In fact, you have a new solo show. I think you mentioned that's going to be going around the country soon. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? It's about Satan. My mother calls it my Satan show. I say, Mom, it's called Adversary. <laughs> so yeah, it's called Adversary because um, Diablo in the ancient Greek, where the term is first used in the scriptural stories of temptations of Jesus and whatnot, the word is adversary. Um, it's a legal term, and it would have been understood in its day to mean your opponent in court. And I, I kind of like that. As the personification of evil, you know, bringing the case against you, the accuser. And so what I did was took, took three depictions of Satan in famous fiction, some Dostoevsky, some Robert Louis Stevenson, a piece I wrote myself, things from scripture, and I put them all together. And so what I'm trying to do is to create within this solo show alternative ways to view the figure of Satan as a personification of evil. What what I'm playing with is the idea, the old idea, that if you believe that there is such a thing as evil, if you close a window, watch out, because it'll come in the door. If you close the door, you know, it'll slip around back. Uh, it's, 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 evil is sort of a smoke-like force that, that will weave its way into your life. And so each one of these fictional depictions of Satan has Satan trying yet another tack. Um, you know, being the seducer or the the charmer or the accuser, all those things. So, yeah, sorry, that was a long answer, but I'm really excited about the show. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I've just finished a teaser trailer for it with a, a hand crushing an apple, which has maggots inside of it. You have no idea how hard it is to animate maggots, but it was fun. I, I would not want to be, oh, oh, I'm just thinking of maggot, oh, oh. Well, see, first you got to figure, this is the kind of challenges that I love, like, when you you know when you're a solo theater guy, you write the show, you do the marketing, you do the costume. When you get to the venue, you got to load in, you got to talk to whoever's running the lights, you got to do a sound check. Then you get backstage and you go, "Oh my god, I'm exhausted." And you go, "Oh wait, I've got to do the show too." That's and load you, out. You pull out your drink alchemy and you power through. <laughs> but you know what it's like. Yeah. And that and the show's called Adversary, right? Adversary, yeah. So I, I I'm going to debut it at I'm a big Ray Bradbury fan, and the Bradbury Center in Indianapolis has been really kind to me. And so they have a festival called Fahrenheit Festival 451 for Ray's Fahrenheit 451. And that's where I'm going to debut it in September. Get it on its feet on the stage and 
But I love the idea of evil because I'm always, usually in the casting notices for guys like me, they'll use the term evil. Yeah. And I always, I always want to ask people, what do you mean by that? Do you mean an outside force? Do you mean something that we create by our own decisions? What do you mean by that? So that's what I love to think about and play with is what do we mean when we say evil? I'm, 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 I'm attached to play Hitler in a World War II thing in Romania. And so I posted it and someone said, oh, you know, you play such a monster, such an evil. I was like, what do you, what do you mean when you say that? Because he was a human being. All the potential, we have the potential to be what he was, but many people are not comfortable even thinking about that. We just want to have boxes of evil and good. But I always like to poke around and say, what, what exactly do you mean? Yes. What does an evil person look like to us? Because if we look at the truly bad people in our world, they come in all shapes and sizes. So I'm fascinated the fact that you are considered like, you know, when, when you get these castings or these auditions that they're for like evil or bad or a criminal. And it's like, mm -hmm. what does that look like though? Ex put that description down on paper. What, what exactly are you seeing? As and, that, you know? and the room for those roles is filled with guys who look like me, variations of me. This yeah. little small subset of people who play these type of roles. But it, yeah, it fascinates me how we make out our judgments. I, I think some of it might go back to some distant past thing of like animals that have their eyes squinty and close set close together, as opposed to animals that have wide doe eyes. You know, we're afraid of the former and we embrace the latter. A snake has a rough, scaly surface. So maybe if you have rough, scaly skin, I don't know. But there's something that automatically for a face like mine, people say that son of a bitch is up to something. Think about this often because I can find more satisfaction in doing a show for an audience of 150 because of that seduction, that feeling of connection. It's like a weird first date. You'll never again be with this collective person ever again. And if you're lucky, there's a little kiss at the end, you know, and that something happens between you, just a little electricity. You'll never meet again. All of that, that I can be much more satisfied with that making a tenth of what you'd make on a film or TV set because there you just have to imagine the connection so what i find myself doing on film and tv is bonding with the director and the crew and really working for them because it's almost impossible just to work for some imaginary person it's harder my hat's off to you because that's that that shows how great of an, a person not just an actor but a person you are to consider all of them as well so good for you it can't work otherwise because you've got to feel some human being. You can't live and die by yourself. And and just, you, well, you can't do good work, I think, if you're not connected to other human beings. You can't do good work as an actor. You can only perform. You know what I'm saying? Rather than, you know what I'm, well, that's yeah. not the right word, but you, you know what I mean. So what? Things are you most excited about in the theater, either now or to come? I wish, and I love what you and Hope are doing with this podcast, because I think it's one of the things you're trying to do is, I wish that we could encourage theater in every town in this country. 
and all around the world, small town. I, I hear from a lot of young people. One wrote to me today who said, oh, you know, I wrote you in 2014 and you encouraged me and, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for a living now. And I want somehow to be a part of helping people to know that they can express themselves through this craft and that they have something to say to other human beings, no matter where they live or what their condition is or what they have or don't have. As a human being, they have something to say to me. And, and to every other human being around them. And I think what we what we have in our craft can can value and uplift humanity. God, that sounds so up with people, but it's the way I feel about the stage. I don't think of it as a large touring, let's make money thing. I think of it as almost like medicine. Yeah. And when you get that show that really can just touch you, oh my God. Yeah, there's nothing like it. There's a little sound that audiences make when they're touched. And I've heard it in some of the dramatic pieces I've done. And it's just a very quiet sounds almost from up on the stage. It sounds like, "Mm, mm." Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? You know that sound? And when you feel it and you hear it, there's nothing like it because you've, you've connected. What changes would you like to see made in theater? going along with that god less celebrity i mean i know you have to have a level of celebrity for broadway and whatnot but stop equating the value of a piece of theater with whether or not someone's in it who you've heard of go to experience something you've never heard of to have a new experience not a reboot of your prior experience don't make you know it's like somebody pulling out their wedding video for the 40th time and I'm like, God, I, you know, stop, stop getting married and actually be married. It's that kind of thing is what I think about with theater. And that's why, you know, small towns in America used to have opera houses. Almost every small town had an opera house. Yeah. And so back in the day, you would have people who would say like, you know, let's go see what's down at the opera house. I would love there to be small theaters, just little stages, black box things all over the country where people would go, let's go see see what's there tonight and have it priced so affordably that people can say, let's just go see what's there. Who knows what we'll experience? Let's just go. Yes. So my final question for this first part of the interview is what message or thought are you hoping listeners will walk away from our chat today? Don't look at people and think that they're funny or scary because of well, you know, don't judge a book by the cover. It's really, I mean, it's the oldest advice that our grandmother told us. Just stop. Stop. It's so hard. It's so hard not to look at people and instantly make a snap judgment right then and there. You're done. Don't do it. Try at least, what's that old, there's an old, there's an old story in Torah. One of the prophets, I don't remember which, is picking the king. And so he calls all the the sons of the, this guy ahead of him. And he's like, oh, this one's, you know, he's very tall. He's handsome. He's beautiful. That's got to be it. And so the, the figure of God, the voice of God says, nope, that's not it. You know, keep going, keep going. And he keeps picking the beautiful, tall ones, handsome ones. And finally, the voice of God says, I don't see the way you see. I only see the heart. And hmm. so that's what I try to do when I'm looking at people is say, Billy, stop making your little boxes and putting people in them. Try Try to see the heart. It's hellishly hard, man. But if you try, that's something, right? 
I want to change gears a little bit now, sort of, <laughs> and let our listeners kind of get to know you even more. And I want to start by asking you, you know, what inspires you? What shows or composers, uh, playwrights, films, wh- whatever? What what inspires you? Monsters, because I felt like a monster when I was a kid. Very isolated, very sad, angry a lot of the time. And I didn't know what I was. And then I discovered monsters through a magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, where they wrote about the old movies that I'd never seen because they were decades before I was born, the old original monsters. And they wrote about them with love and with affection. And I thought, as a kid, I remember thinking, like 11 or 12, that's what I am. I'm a monster. But I didn't mean it's a horrible thing. I liked the monsters. So I started trying to see these movies and I would root for them. I would be like, yeah, wolf man, you go, you know, she thinks she's so beautiful. Show her. So, you know, yeah. Frankenstein monster rip him apart. So that's, that's what inspired me in the first, my first creative inspiration was monsters. And then I understood as I grew a little older that they were wounded monsters. And then the final revelation, the wounds weren't theirs. Society gave them their wounds and society made them monsters. And so then I started to see who the real monsters were, the mob mentality. And that's sort of the backbone of everything that I do is the wounded monster. Visually, um, there was a silent film called Phantom of the Opera, and it was Lon Chaney, 1925. And when I was about 14 years old, my grandmother took me to a Masonic Lodge where they were showing old time, what do they call it? Old time silent scary movies. And they had a lady from the church playing a piano, you know, badly to go along with the film. And they were projected eight millimeter on a bed sheet. But when I saw uh, Lon Chaney as Phantom of the Opera, his mask ripped off his, the nakedness of his woundedness and vulnerability and ugliness to the world revealed. He had nothing to cover himself with. And he was so vengeful and so rageful, but he was so hurt at the same time. It was just a, you know, it was a silent movie, but it, st- it stuck with me. The rest of, I, and I thought, I want to do that. I want to somehow do that. I want to show people that this is what's underneath your cruelty, and this is what you've caused. I really identified with that phantom. So yeah, those things inspired me. Sorry, that was a long answer. No, that was a brilliant answer. I love that. What is your favorite part about working in the theater and even on screen as well? The two different parts. The best part about theater for me is touching those walls and that floor where so much emotion has been poured out. I mean, I love doing the shows and connecting with the audiences. And, you know, like I said, it feels like gentle lovemaking. Movies feel like a rape sometimes, you know, on both both sides. But But what I really love in theater are the moments before you go on or maybe the moments afterwards when you're getting ready to load out and you can just touch those walls and that floor of an old theater. And you can just think about all the human emotion that's been poured out in that room and all the people who have been there who are now gone, but are they gone? The ghostly aspects of it. That's, that's something that I really, really love. That is so poetic and so true. There's nothing like just like a quiet theater and just oh, yeah. taking it in and, and you can just feel the energy from, from everything from the past. 
Yes. Sometime when I load in for my little shows, I'll just do the sound check or whatever, and then I'm alone. And so I can go just sit on the stage, look at the audience, empty seats, and think, you know, in an hour and a half, you're going to be there. And I don't know who you are yet, but I know you're coming. And I want you to be happy. And I want you to have a really good time tonight. And you're going to. And, you know, all of the just talking to empty seats. And then, then I'm ready to work. And then when you go out, you don't have any nervousness because you love those people. You already saw them in those seats when they weren't there. You saw them. It's like seeing somebody on a subway, you know, and you're like, I knew you'd, I knew you'd come. I've never seen you before, but I knew you would come. And now you're here. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm interested about this next question because I don't think it's going to be what I think it's going to be, I should say. But what is your dream show? My dream show? Mm -hmm. Of course, I really want to pick, you know, the big stuff. Like, of course, like Sweeney and like Phantom. And but actually, no, I think I would do. I think it's so hard. It's so hard to choose. God, you know what really the truth is, Andrew? Hmm. The show that I'm preparing now. If I could do any show, it would be that show because that's what's in my soul. That's what needs to come out right now. I dreamed about this show and it needs to come out. I need to do it. I have to do this or I'm going to explode. And so that 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 is the show. Once I've done it, I'll have another one, I'm sure. But... No, if somebody said you can't do you can't do adversary or or don't do adversary. Instead, I'm going to take you to Broadway and you're going to make X amount of dollars. I would hope that I would say no. I I need to do this, whatever it turns out to be or not to be. I have to do this. Like there's a young director I work with down in Mexico, and he said some people do this, what he does, because. They want attention, and some people do it because they have to relieve tension, or they're going to explode. And he's the second type, and I feel the same way. Yeah, exactly. It's theater. Theater's art, and art's a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. That's what keeps it so exciting. That's why it's endured so much over the the centuries. And that's why we get caricatured so much as you know, irrelevant or touchy feely or ego driven or we're so we're very easy to lampoon. Yeah. Well that leads me to my favorite question to ask guests. <laughs> and I am so looking forward to hearing yours. And that's what is your favorite theater memory? My favorite theater memory. Well this is a strange one. Many of my theater pieces have not been done in traditional theaters because when you tour you play wherever you are. And so for a number of years, I did a show called Jesus of Nazareth, where I took the teachings of Jesus from the New Testament and strung them all together as if just a person were talking to you without all the, you know, without the holiness and the, ah, it's just like a person, it's like the ethical teachings. And so as a part of that, I would, at one point, he says, if someone sues you and takes away your coat, give your cloak as well. And so I would wear like this shawl and had Middle Eastern dress of that period on. And at that point, when it says someone sues you, take away your coat, give you a cloak. I would take off my shawl and drape it around someone in the audience. And I was in a small country community center, really small town, people who didn't normally come to theater. And uh, there was a man 
very, very quiet, an, an older man. And I got to the point where I handed him, I put my shawl over him, and he got this look on his face, and he handed it back to me, and he said, I can't. I can't. And I put it back on him, and he handed it back to me, and he said, no. And I did the rest of the show, and I never saw him again, but it's a moment I never forgot. What was he experiencing at that moment that had really very little to do with me? What was, what did that, what did that piece of wardrobe coming off of me and going around his neck, what did it symbolize to him that he would not allow himself to be or to experience or to do? What was going on there? And I never touched him again, but I touched his body and I felt his hand when he pressed that shawl back into my hand. He would not accept it. And to me, it was just before that, it was always just a device. Oh, you know, they're going to, because when I came back to, to load out, the, the shawl is always up front. Somebody, you know, put it back. But it meant something to him. And we touched and I couldn't help. Should I have helped? I don't know. I don't really know what the moment meant, but it never, it never left me. Wow. What a, what is a he memory. Still, is he still alive? Is he, does he remember? Did it mean anything to him? Did it only mean something to me? I don't know. I'll never know. That's amazing. But that's what that's what I live for are those type of moments, not the structured type of moments, the organic ones. Oh, that sounds so pompous. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you're that that's absolutely 100% true. Well, thank you for sharing that memory. It was amazing. Well, thank you for asking, Andrew. Are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? I ain't going to plug. I hate people that plug. But I'll tell people that, um, you know, I got an AMBD page and it says things that are coming up. And I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. I hate Facebook messages. I loathe them. But I like Twitter direct messages because they're short. So, yeah, you know, if people want to say hello, I say hello back. Unless it's a Facebook message, because they can go on forever. So yeah, pe people can say hello on uh, Twitter. I got a website, billoverse.com. And I, I, I like to interact with people. And uh, I'll be doing this until I die. I'll die doing it, I hope. And, and that will be no time soon. What's the name of this podcast, this Gothic Fiction? Oh, thank you for asking. My little podcast is called Gothic Goodnight. And it's short gothic fiction and it's designed i guarantee it'll put you to sleep no no episode is more than 30 minutes it's just designed for when you're just about to go to sleep turn off the damn lights turn off your tabs and just listen to this old library keeper tell you a gothic story and the stories are really dark but the library keeper really likes them and then at the end of it he says the books are all closed now and your eyes are heavy heaviest like that and my voice gets slower and slower i try to slow it down to a heartbeat style by the end and then he says good night and i've had a lot of people tell me i can't listen to an episode without falling asleep i'm always asleep before the story's over and i'm like yes <laughs> i love it well i'm gonna certainly be listening to it tonight I'm awesome and sold i i love this listen to the uh phantom of the opera episode it's either episode 11 or 12. It's called All the Wounded Monsters. It's my favorite one. 
because I made the Phantom sing in Latin, which he didn't do in the book, but I just really like it. So I made him sing the Dies Irae. So see if you like it. Uh, absolutely. Finally, if our listeners want more information about your projects or about you, you they want to reach you, uh, how can they do that? You had mentioned your IMDb page, also your website, billoberst.com. Mm-hmm. You did say Twitter. What is your Twitter handle? At Bill Oberst Jr., And I always use the junior because my father never wanted to be confused with an actor. To this day, (laughs) somebody ever, ever thinks that he's an actor, he hates it. So I always say Bill Oberst Jr. Well, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been one of the greatest interviews I've had the pleasure of doing. It's been fascinating talking with you. I could talk with you for hours and hours. You truly are a fascinating person with a tremendous career and and just fascinating wealth of information. So thank you for sharing that today with our listeners and with me. You've inspired me. Thank you, Andrew. My guest today has been Bill Oberst Jr., who is an actor who I'm sure you've seen on stage and screen. He has an upcoming solo show called Adversary, debuting at the Indie District Theater in Indianapolis later in September. He also has a great podcast called Gothic Goodnight. You can get it anywhere you find podcasts and make sure to get that tonight right before you go to bed and tune into the old librarian. You can get more information or contact Bill by visiting his website, BillOberst.com, or finding him on social media at Bill Oberst Jr. We're going to have all of this information listed under our episode description, as well as on our social media. But make sure you follow Bill for all his upcoming projects and check out his work. It's inspired, it's intelligent, and it's exactly what the world needs right now. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Two friends from old New York town met in a foreign land. One sang the praises of If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.